0: Hey everyone, I'm Sydney, I'm Anjana, and I'm EPSA, and welcome to Reimagined. So the three of us recently graduated from college, and now we're navigating the world of postgrad experiences during a year that definitely has been quite the catalyst for change. This podcast is going to be a platform for young women to think critically about the society
1: we currently live in
2: and have meaningful discussions on creating a better future. Every Thursday, two of us will be interviewing women who are rethinking and reshaping our workplaces, politics, the environment, entire industries, or even just their own lives.
0: So follow us as we navigate our own personal and professional journeys and meet some kick-ass women along the way.
1: We hope their stories empower you to reimagine your own journey.
0: Whatever you're passionate about, reimagine it. Hey, Sydney, we're almost okay. to Friday. I feel like that's kind of the basis of a lot of our combos, really. <laughs> How many more days till Friday?
2: <laughs> I know. It's it's like that. It's San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It's
0: work, of course. Obviously. It's just the trend now. TikToks. No. TikToks, reels, whatever, whatever it takes. But one thing we don't talk about is sports. Never, ever. Like, when has that ever come up in any of our conversations? Never until this Never. podcast episode. <laughs> until exactly until <laughs> this podcast episode. So, actually, today on the podcast, we have a really special guest. Her name is Maggie Bell, and she's actually one of my friends from high school. So, we're doing a little throwback. And Maggie and I did journalism together in high school, and you know, we've both since then <laughs> graduated college but we're super stoked to have Maggie on the podcast because she did her four years at Berkeley. She played soccer. She was on the Cal women's soccer team and she actually started a nonprofit called case, which is college athlete compliance inquiries. Honestly, super cool. She talks this episode today. She talks all about her personal experiences working with students who have a lot of inquiries that are just have been hard to navigate for student Mm -hmm. athletes on their own and what she started is this nonprofit for other student athletes to ask all these like various questions that you never would have thought of to ask if you weren't a student athlete. And she does
2: that all for free, which is really amazing and providing a resource for student athletes that didn't exist during her time at Berkeley. So we're really excited to have her on the podcast today and have you all hear about her experience just navigating that journey as a student-athlete, what she's been up to in Denmark, and playing professional soccer there, and what is in store for her nonprofit case.
0: Exactly. With all that, we welcome you, Maggie Bell. Maggie, welcome to the pod. Long time, no chat. So we're super excited (laughs) to have you. But before we get chatting about your nonprofit case, super excited to hear more about it. Could you just give us a little background on yourself, your experiences at Berkeley and kind of just like what you're up to now? Absolutely. I just graduated from Cal uh, class of 2020
1: in the pandemic. Um, And then (laughs) I love that. Well, first, I was in Tahoe working as a waitress for a little bit up there, Um, just figuring out life like most of us 2020 grads were. And then um, I moved to Denmark because I was a student athlete at Cal. I played soccer there for four years. Go Bears. Um, And it was an okay experience. It wasn't like the best college athletic experience, which is kind of how Case came to be. But more on that later. Um, And now I am playing soccer professionally in Denmark. So I got here a month ago. We're still definitely in lockdown, like no restaurants are open, but. It's cool. I'm living in a different country, so can't complain.
2: So living abroad is a unique experience in itself. Um, but besides playing soccer, what like what does your life
0: look like in Denmark right now? Yeah, like what Sydney said, I'm super curious, like just like what you're up to aside from soccer. Cause like currently, like personally, I just moved to San Francisco. So all I'm doing right now is just like bopping around my tiny little home and like trying to find ways to entertain myself.
1: Oh, so I'm also in a very tiny little home, <laughs> um, which is awesome. One, okay, this is not that important, but a weird thing about Europe is that they call the fourth floor, the third floor. So like we're on quote oh. unquote, the fourth floor, but we're on the fifth floor. So um, I have to walk up five flights of stairs every day to get to my little home. Oh my, God. Is, oh hey. my gosh. Oh gosh. That's like a <laughs> workout though. Oh my god. I'm that's exhausted. like a real life.
0: That's a real life stairmaster you have in your home, basically. Exactly.
1: It's built in. Um no, but wow. so I have been definitely struggling to adjust to the time change. Mm-hmm. Um I, I sleep in like a lot. I play soccer every day, which is awesome. We have training at night and then mm-hmm. during the day, um, I typically work on a uh, case. Like do some work for that. And then I also um work I work part-time as a journalist. So
2: I do that a little bit as well. Oh my God. Always doing good journalism. As Grooba would say. As Grooba would say. <laughs> <laughs> um and so could you also touch a bit more about um like your personal experience playing soccer at Berkeley? I know you mentioned briefly like it wasn't maybe the best experience. Um, but like from day one, when you started that journey at Berkeley, was it everything you expected it to be? Was it completely different?
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah take, so us, it, take us <laughs> through the journey, Maggie. <laughs> um, I, both my parents went to Cal. So Cal was like always a dream school for me. Um, and I was fortunate enough to commit pretty young. Um, I committed to play soccer there when I just turned 15. Um, during the sophomore year of high school, so that was like always, you know, my goal through high school was soccer. I worked super hard. I actually graduated high school early to go attend um to get like a head start on soccer. basically felt like, you know, this is it. This is how I'm gonna play on the national team because that was also a goal of mine. Um, and so I was really excited when I got there. And then it actually was not quite as great of an experience as I would have liked, but it was also very, educational and I learned a lot about myself through it. So I'm like very thankful for it. But um college athletics is not what most people think it is. Um I feel like it's very much so glamorized in the media. Um athletes themselves want to, you know, make it seem like a really cool experience because in a lot of ways it is a cool experience, but it's very tough. Um and truthfully there's not a lot of resources for student athletes. So in the situations where a coach is, you know, not a good coach to his players, or a program is poorly run, or you don't have the the resources you need to manage mental health or physical health, um, it can be pretty toxic in the way that you don't have access to what you need. Um, but you're also in this odd position in that your school and your your future depends on playing your sport whether that be for scholarship reasons whether that be you know like it soccer got me into cal so obviously in my um situation and i was also on scholarship it was a big part of uh, my experience as a student
0: when you went in day one like you had these plans you said to like play nationally and you had this like all right here's my vision here's how it's gonna play out And then when you got there and you kind of saw it not playing out the way you envisioned, like, how did you start navigating that? Like what was going through your head?
1: Yeah. So I, I got there and I was really excited about soccer. Soccer wasn't going quite the way I would have hoped. Um, and so I, I've always been someone who likes to do a million things at once. So I was involved in a lot of different clubs. I was, um, pursuing a journalism minor, working as a reporter, um, I was part of like the student athlete leadership team. Um, so I was trying to like distract myself, find other things that I was passionate about. Um, but I also considered transferring, as many people do in college. Um, I ultimately decided not to because I didn't want to restart at a new school. I felt like I'd make a, made a lot of friends. I'd, you know, kind of found my my people at Cal and it's scary, you know, to, to move to a new school. So I also wasn't sure what the program athletically would be like at a different school. I wasn't sure scholarship wise, if I would Mm. be getting any scholarship. So I, I ultimately decided to stick it out after my sophomore year. And then I also got involved in a bunch of other things. I joined a sorority. I, um, started working at this awesome summer camp called the Lair of the bear. I just kind of found ways to make soccer not my entire life because growing up it definitely had been so I wanted to kind of make myself as cliche as it sounds like a whole person um and I just found different passions so that was my way of navigating it I know it doesn't work for everyone but I just felt like I had to find a way to to get through it.
2: It sounds like your experience as a student athlete was also what really inspired you to start College athlete compliance inquiries, or otherwise known as case your nonprofit, could you walk us through that journey of starting this organization and and what your goal was um, behind creating it?
1: Yeah, so like I said, I was considering transferring, and I think a lot of people who aren't involved in the college athletics world don't realize like how many different rules and regulations there are when you're an athlete. So, like the um, NCAA has a lot of different procedures you have to follow. So you have to, if you want to transfer, you have to notify your coach that in writing, they have to um, basically accept it and then tell you you're allowed to transfer. And if they don't, then you have to go um, to a trial to figure out if they're not releasing you, what the rules are. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of different um, steps that I wasn't aware of. So I would always go to my older brother, like many people do when they have questions, mm. um, and ask him because he's a lawyer. Um, and my brother would provide answers to me that a lot of people, I would tell my friends about, I'd be like, oh yeah, I asked my brother about X, Y, and Z. Mm. So by the end of my four years, I had um an array of different student athletes who would come to me when they had similar questions about mm. transferring, about, you know, if they think they might have broken a rule or whatever. Um, For compliance reasons, instead of wanting to go and, you know, tell their coach and then ask what their punishment is, people would be like, hey, Maggie, you know, I heard you had to deal with X, Y, and Z, like, do you have any advice for me? Mm -hmm. Um, So that was kind of the birth of the idea of case. Um, And then my brother and I were on a ski trip together one year, um, stuck in horrendous traffic. And we (laughs) started planning out this idea. And we're like, okay, this needs to exist. Like, there's no organization for student athletes to turn to when they have questions it's all a very informal network um so we decided to form case and then we something that kind of came along the way was I wanted to make it something that student athletes don't have to pay for because they don't get paid for the work they do even if you're on scholarship like you're not in a position where you have extra cash lying around to throw at a counselor, you know, my brother, like as a lawyer, is like used to, you know, knowing what legal fees are, and we're like, okay, student athletes definitely can't pay that, yeah, yeah. Um, and also they I shouldn't see. have to, like, they should have the ability to do, you know, be a student athlete and know their rights without being broke.
0: Totally, totally agree. Well, I'm really glad you did have your brother to go to for support um, for all of those questions, especially because they definitely seem like difficult questions to answer on your own for anyone really glad you guys are trying to make this service or you guys are making this service free. But I have so many other questions too. One, I'm absolutely not a student athlete. I hated running the mile in PE. Like I dreaded it. <laughs> oh, I tried to God. make up any excuse. I was like, please don't make me do this. So like with me being that way and like a lot of people, like I, I think a lot of people view student athletes as like, oh, you do have all these resources. You can register for classes Mm -hmm. early. You have XYZ network. You have like a whole nother network. Like to me, I always felt like student athletes and like students were in two different like subgroups at school. So it's really interesting hearing Mm -hmm. like, even when you were like struggling with this huge part of your college identity, you felt like lost in a sense. So my question to you is like, aside from your like, okay, when people would go to you for other questions, what were like barriers or other difficulties like themes of barriers and difficulties that you overcame and, and that you also like tried to urge other student athletes to like talk about to voice their concerns.
1: Yeah, I think that one thing that's kind of common for everyone is that you want to portray yourself as self-sufficient and you don't want to come off as someone who is in need of help. Um For a variety of reasons, pride being one of them, but also as a student athlete, like you, you want your coaches and everyone around you to think that you have it together. So you get playing time. So they believe in you as a person. So there's, it's more than just as a person Mm -hmm. wanting to appear like you have your shit together. Totally. (laughs) Um, So I think that a lot of the time deters people from asking questions. about what their rights are. They don't want to seem like they don't know. Also, as a student athlete, I think it's pretty common to feel like you have a little bit of a target on your back Mm -hmm. because, you know, there's the stigma that the only reason you're at your school is because you got in for your athletic ability. And so you don't want to come off as that dumb jock, for lack of a better cliche. Um, So you don't ask questions and you you are fed this narrative that you're given everything you need, and that you're lucky to be there. Mm -hmm. So I think it's common that people accept that. And if something doesn't go their way, they say, okay, that's just part of the experience, you know, or Mm -hmm. they think that what's happening to them is normal. And that's college athletics is hard, is what people always say, like, you know, it's a really hard process. But it's when you actually dive into it, it's like, yes, it should be hard. But there are certain things that shouldn't be happening to anyone regardless of being a student athlete or not um Mm. so I think that was something I found that Mm -hmm. like we a lot of things were normalized in college athletics at least in my experience like yeah yeah so something that was common for a lot of different student athletes is that you were part of a system as Mm -hmm. opposed to being an individual person and the whole system didn't necessarily have your best interests at heart um, mm-hmm. so whether that be like mistreatment from a coach, whether that be, um, feeling like your trainers aren't giving you adequate attention when you have an injury, cause you're not a starter, but you're someone mm-hmm. who, you know, there's examples on my team, at least of girls who were not starters, who were told that maybe they were complaining too much about an injury and, didn't treat it. And then therefore had lasting impacts from it. Like in a couple Mm -hmm. of them were forced to medically retire, like had stress fractures over and over again. And those just weren't adequately addressed because our trainer thought that they were just being dramatic. Mm. And especially, I feel like that's a very concrete example to have your health at risk and not be having it taken care of. And again, as a student athlete, you don't want to show weakness, so you you don't say anything about it. And then mm-hmm. these girls, you know, leave leave the team and are going to have lifelong health issues from it.
0: Totally. Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
2: yeah that expectation for, like, the upkeep of that, that image that, like, you have everything under control. Um, and then to have, like, when you actually voice those concerns, especially about an injury and to have somebody come back and say, like, You're being too dramatic about it. It just sounds like it it would be so much, not only like physical strain, but just emotionally too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I think what, how you explained it was really, it was a really like eye opener, like for me at least, because I feel like now, like I, I'm like understanding it more because like what you said, like you have these expectations to uphold for your coach and all that stuff, but also like, you're also kind of a face of the school so obviously you want to like put your best self out there always and like have it together out of school like cal too like I and mean, your parents went there like you just have so much like history there so i can only imagine like kind of not just you but like all student athletes like feel that way too
1: yeah and i also sure. think like all all college students feel that way and yeah in part you know like you mm-hmm. come home from your first semester during christmas break and all of your parents friends ask you don't you love it mm-hmm. and you say yeah i love it it even if you're miserable, you know. Yep. And I think that's kind of a a shared experience a lot of people have. It's just in a slightly different lens, yeah, talking to student athletes.
0: No, totally. And it's something people don't normalize or don't talk about. I think honestly, I think we've all talked about this, but like in quarantine and because we've all had a lot of time to ourselves, I feel like these conversations and being so open about when we were struggling has been a lot more like has been talked about more which is nice versus like back in 2016 I was like my life is perfect it's exactly how my Instagram shows it out to me thank you for coming to my show <laughs> thank you
1: <laughs> yeah no I I definitely think that's again like what I was saying about it being like a glamorized uh ideal you want to show mm-hmm. off I think everyone is kind of seeing that a little bit more important
0: yeah no exactly exactly
2: yeah, and along that vein, um, that one of our listener questions was actually in regards to uh, this this question, um, and this topic is from Vasu Gupta. So recently, I guess it was in January, um, the NCAA council was delaying a vote on the um, name image and likeness legislation. and this would have allowed student athletes to receive compensation or like endorsement money for their name image and likeness right what does this mean for student athletes and like why is it such an important fight that like this is brought to the table
1: at case specifically we're kind of working from the position that the NCAA is going to do what the NCAA is going to do and it's not our mission to advocate them to do better obviously we would love that but our sole goal is helping student athletes get through what the current situation is um so as much as it would be awesome that students could get paid for the way the ncaa uses their image or you know potential endorsements yeah. um that's not what we do mm-hmm. we are more interested in helping student athletes navigate the rules that are mm-hmm. frustrating um But from a personal uh, view, I do. I there's kind of it's a two sided issue because from one standpoint, you know, you look at someone who, for example, Missy Franklin, who went to Cal. She was an amazing Olympic swimmer, did super well um, in the Olympics one year, and then didn't take any endorsement money. Would have made a lot of money, but Mm -hmm. wanted to keep her amateur status so she could keep swimming at Cal. Did that, and then the next Olympics didn't have a great Olympics. I think that's something, and that's, like, a a very clear situation where it's frustrating to see all of the money that she could have made or kept for herself not given to her just so she could compete in college. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's pretty frustrating to watch. Mm -hmm. But then also, as someone who played a non-revenue sport, it's not a simple mathematic calculation because Mm. the, the revenue sports would be the ones to continue to exist. I think truthfully we, uh, you wouldn't see a lot of non-revenue sports sports that Mm. might not be as popular. People don't go to those would cease to exist because right now the way um, the rules are set up is that revenue sports have to give their money to Non-revenue sports, so us non-revenue sports would actually suffer because all the endorsement money again would go to people who are involved in revenue sports, and Mm. then from what I understand, it would probably lead to the elimination of a lot more sports. Yeah. So not saying that's good, but there's there's always uh, like a
0: flip side. Right. Right. I've never thought about it. Like, see, look, Maggie, I'm learning so much. I'm learning so much, (laughs) truthfully. My public policy, (laughs) a (laughs) little bit. It's coming out, yeah. Wait. So I want to go back a little bit more to case. So you basically a lot of what you're doing is just like providing advice to college Mm -hmm. athletes in situations similar to you. Um, so I, you know, we touched on like a few topics, but could you explain, like, I know on your website, great website, by the way, mm-hmm. love, love that you've helped over 50 student athletes. Can you give us, can you give me like a theme of like the topics you've helped them with? Like, um, are they all from Berkeley? Like, how are you, how are you getting mm-hmm. these student athletes? Like, you, wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, some of them have been from Berkeley, but most of them are not actually, uh, the process works. Um, my brother and I go in by hand and cross-check student-athlete rosters with um, school databases to get their emails, and then we reach out to them by school. Um, wow. Just Yeah, so we've reached out to over, I don't know the numbers anymore. I think it's somewhere, it's like close to over 10,000 student-athletes we've emailed. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. <laughs> the, you really you put the, in the
0: work you put in the yeah work. but the help to um outreach ratio is like the ratio. Not <laughs> it happened trust me me and sydney for the podcast we dm like a bunch of people on linkedin hey we'd love to have you on the pod like we like one responds out of like a hundred so it happens it yeah, happens it happens
1: yeah, it happens. yeah. Mm-hmm. um
0: cold outreach but, is, is hard it's hard
1: yeah yeah. It's, it's basically cold calling you know like yeah, I, yeah yeah just draft up a little email and send it to them and say you yeah. know like in case you're suffering and want some help um, in case, <laughs> <laughs> in case. <laughs> yeah no so it's um it's getting better though because mm-hmm. as we started to like receive more recognition at first it was just this random person emailing them you know from a gmail email like who are you um but now that we have our nonprofit status and we have helped you know over 50 people I feel like that gives us a little bit more legitimacy and that like we know what we're doing we're doing it for good we're not just some scam um you literally don't have to pay any money so um but yeah so typically um people have come to us for like transfer advice if they want to know like what their options are what the process looks like um each case you know is going to have different stipulations. Some people are not from this country. Some people have scholarships to think about. Others have to think about how many years of eligibility, if they want to be a graduate student, all those different um, details that change the way their transfer process works. So essentially they send us um, either by email or through our website information about what they want to do, um, kind of what their current situation is, and then my brother and I uh, go through and individually um, tailor advice to them. We talk through different scenarios. I bring in the perspective of having been a student athlete and understanding what that looks like. And then he is a licensed attorney. So he, and he's worked in an NCAA compliance office. So together we kind of have the basis covered in that sense. So um, yeah, we have transfer advice, people asking about their amateur status, obviously Uh COVID has affected everyone. So (laughs) it affects teen athletes as well. Um, And then, you know, coaching relationship issues. If people Mm -hmm. feel like their coaches are breaking rules by making them train too many hours or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, making threats that don't seem to fall within just general coaching discipline, um, Mm -hmm. they can bring them to us. And mm-hmm. we give them advice, and then we also offer the service to go to their compliance department and or the NCAA on their behalf, so that they can keep their full anonymity because that is such a, a big mm-hmm. concern when you're a student athlete. You don't want to um, tell people yeah. who you are, right. and then going to come back to bite you.
0: Right, right. Which is so sad because like you just want help, you just want like guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is it so like right now, is it just you and your brother with this? Like, are there, do you have any other like people in your position that have like graduated um that are also like providing insight and support? Or is it just like you and your brother, you and Connor? So we actually just added a
1: new member today mm-hmm. on um, officially. <laughs> yeah, love. Um she, her name is Elena McKay. Elena's awesome. She was a Uh, on the crew team at Columbia Um, and she's currently studying uh, student health and wellness advocacy at UCSF in a master's program yeah Yeah. so she we're really excited to have her join the team because she's such a you know it's a very qualified person and another Mm -hmm. student athlete who has experience with that but also Mm -hmm. from the uh, point of student athlete health and wellness advocacy I think is really important to have that perspective because she
2: is just someone we don't have on our team yet (gasps) Mm -hmm. and so you've already helped you said around like 50 student athletes and how long has case been around like when did you start the organization again so
1: we started it last summer
2: so end of June early July so not not even a year and you've already helped like 50, which I feel like is a pretty good, like you have to start somewhere. That's really great. Um, And what are, I guess, like future plans, like where would you like to see case go and like what comes of this nonprofit?
1: I think we're still kind of starting to understand how mm-hmm. big we can grow and still mm-hmm. be effective in the way we help people. Um, Ideally, we would be nationally recognized. And, you know, if a student athlete is struggling at a school hopefully an older teammate will tell them hey i know of this great source case um you should reach out to them and they can give you good advice so i think we'd love to be nationally known and just seen as like an ally to student athletes um that's my goal It's kind of lofty but you know gotta start somewhere um and i'd love to make it something where we bring on more advisors um mm-hmm. so that Connor and I can focus on making uh case keeping case affordable but also mm-hmm. making it something that every student athlete
0: can access. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So since like working on it since July from just like a personal note Maggie like what has been the most fulfilling part about mm-hmm. um, starting case working with your brother like helping these students like what to you has been like oh wow like this makes my heart warm. Wow, big question um
1: I just love being able to give back to a community that I was a part of and also Mm. not not in a selfish way but it is definitely um you know therapeutic to to hear other people's not only to hear other people's struggles but also to be able to give them some help in those situations after struggling so much in my college experience and feeling helpless and like I was alone. It's just nice to have people come to us and then they send us, you know, emails being like, thank you so much. This is so helpful. Now Mm -hmm. I know what I'm going to do. And that to me warms my heart because it's something I would have loved to have existed. Mm -hmm. And you just feel like you get to be an older sibling to them. You know, the way my brother was to me. It's like, oh, girl, I've been there. Like,
2: let me just Oh my gosh,
1: And yeah, to think no, to you that, love that
2: that case is like basically the first of its kind from what you were saying, like these resources didn't exist and like, yeah. or were, you know, like, obviously, like you were saying too, legal advice is insanely expensive and like a college student, much less like a student athlete shouldn't be expected to pay that. Um, so I just think it's, it's awesome that like you are using like your experience, um, Like having been a student athlete and now pursuing soccer professionally, like giving back and really making case like the first nonprofit of its kind, um, because it does sound like there are so many challenges that like student athletes have to navigate. And I can't even imagine like not having anybody to turn to or like an older sibling
0: that you can lean on. Um, so the fact that you're providing that resource is awesome. It's very whole, it's very full circle actually. (laughs) So that's cool. Thank you. <laughs> As a society, how can
2: schools start to like reimagine creating a safe space um, for student athletes to ask questions without having this fear of retribution or scholarship revoked? What are the first steps to, like creating that safe space for student athletes?
1: I think that schools need to be more accountable with their employees. Um, especially the ones that have control over so much of student-athletes' lives. So coaches, Mm -hmm. compliance departments, um, trainers, you know, making sure that these people have the student-athletes' best interests at heart and are are different people they can go to because Mm -hmm. college is so hard for everyone. Um, And then athletics on top of it is also – you know an extra challenge, so just mm-hmm. making sure that those in power mm-hmm. in the student athlete community are people that student athletes can go to and feel like they can speak to and not fear retribution.
2: You can listen to our podcasts weekly on Spotify or Apple Music and find our blog at reimaginedpodcast.com. Follow our Instagram and LinkedIn at The Reimagined Podcast to stay up to date on all the things we're reimagining.